0: Jolie, your branding badass, and welcome to my new podcast, Branding Matters. Before I introduce my guest today, I wanted to share with you that this episode of Branding Matters is going to be a little different. The conversation takes a bit of a detour away from branding and veers into more of a spiritual direction. The reason being is that just over four years ago, my guest was given one year to live, but. Against all odds, he is still here and living what he describes as a life with purpose. His name is Jim Button, and he is the co-founder of one of Calgary's favourite breweries, Village Brewery. A true leader in marketing and community building, Jim's passion for community investment has earned him impressive accolades, which include a Philanthropy Award from the Canadian Association of Fundraising Professionals, two Top 40 Under 40 Awards with Avenue Magazine, and Community Builder of the Year Award from the Alberta Small Brewers Association, just to name a few. I invited Jim to be a guest on my show today to discuss why he thinks it takes a village to build a brand. I also wanted to discuss Jim's new fundraising program that focuses on the mental health of kids living with cancer. I am so honored to introduce to you my friend, Jim Button. Jim, welcome to Branding Matters. Hi, Jolie. That is quite a mouthful and very impressive.
1: And it always makes me a little awkward.
0: Because <laughs> I know you're so mod. I mean, community was the common theme throughout that, which is really, really impressive. So Jim, thank you so much for being here. I, it means a lot to me. I appreciate it so much. It's great to see your handsome face. You look really great. Okay, so let's get into your career. So when I met you, and it's funny, you moved here in 93. I moved here in 94, so not long after you. I think you had just started a company called The Event Group. Is that correct?
1: I had, but for four years before that, I had a company called uh, Financial Planning Initiatives with my brother. Yeah. Okay. And then I I left that and uh, started The Event Group with Dave Howard.
0: Right who is a client of mine today. So tell me about the event group. How did you start that and why? And how did- There was
1: a gap in how marketing was being done. Everybody was forgetting the one-to-one engagement.
0: Mm-hmm. It was
1: all about, you know, I came from a media background where it was all GRPs and cost per thousands and things like that. And uh, they weren't, in my mind, taking the time to really understand their consumer and what motivates them and what changes their mind and or encourages them to buy your product and that's the one-to-one engagement which was provided by events so got into that
0: and how long did you do the events group and you guys you were pretty successful you did some pretty big events in calgary seven years years, i think okay
1: that was great it was a great time i loved it (laughs) It
0: i know you're having a lot of fun
1: oh it was fun yeah calgary cares those are two thousand people selling out events in uh
0: Oh, I remember Calgary Cares. That was a great event. That was, and that was sort of when you know AIDS awareness was pretty big, and you guys did a phenomenal job with that. That was a great was event. Fun. And so then after that, you had a couple of other jobs, or you jobs.
1: You just... I took jobs. I wasn't, you know, I'm not a very good jobs guy. I'm better on my own. I know. So I went and started where I built Arlene Dickinson Adventure uh, PR event marketing promotions team.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I left there after three years and joined. Uh, Big Rock as their vice president of marketing and communications. And then, so were you uh, part of
0: the Eddies? That was a huge Calgary event. And I mean, yep. those were so fun. Was that your sort of doing? Did you spearhead oh, Ed, that? It
1: started that, Ed started that year, two years before he hired the event group to do it. So okay, got to a point where it needed some management. And so we took it on and we managed it for about seven years. And I managed it obviously internally, internally. there for three years quite a long time but it was fun
0: the eddies were great you know i mean i was working in advertising at the time i was working i think at ogilvy and mather and i remember actually a couple guys i work with entered in one and for people who don't know i mean the eddies was just you you we had people i think it was just local i think and then eventually it became national where they would submit their own ads to sell big rock beer it was great marketing it was no, great
1: to no, know hard that would have been to make videos back in the 1990s say that again. Right? Like, you know how hard it would be to make a video back in the 90s? Oh,
0: right. Exactly. Yeah. Not like today. Like, oh, really yeah. Like they had the Super 8 cameras. and Oh, I, remember, I know. Now well, it would be imagine, easy.
1: Look at it this way. They had an event where it sold out 2,200 people yeah. in under 12 minutes. That was our record. Oh. back when you had to phone in. To it. <laughs> yeah. So 2,200 people drinking your beer, giving $100 to drink your beer and watch your beer commercials.
0: And sell your, and make commercials about your beer. Making commercials, like it was a brand
1: dream. And I don't know why they they stopped doing it, but it was a shame.
0: It really was brilliant. And so then, obviously, beer is in your blood. So let's fast forward to Village Brewery. Tell me about how you got involved in that and what motivated you to start that. I
1: was at Big Rock at the time and they let me go. (laughs) Yeah, their uh, loss. Their loss. Well, Ed hired me back full-time there to try and get it back its roots of community. And at the time, they're they're doing much better in terms of that now. But at the time, the people that that I was working with were very much more focused on what the uh, multinationals were doing and trying to emulate their behavior. So I had a lot of fighting to do to try and keep things like daddy's alive. Anyway, so when they let me go, there was always a group of people at Big Rock that I was friends with. And we always talked about what if, if I had my own brewery, I would, and all those things. And so a bunch of us got together and started the process. Turns out there was two different groups starting a brewery at the same time. And there hadn't been a new brewery in, in Calgary in 15 years. And so the fact that we phoned up Larry Kerman, our buddy, who was a brewer and said, Larry, who would you hire as a brewery? He says, why would you ask that question? Because <laughs> well, we're starting a brewery. When? As soon as we can. Where? Calgary. He says, we better talk. I said, why? Because I'm doing the same thing. Oh,
0: no kidding. Okay. So
1: we did a little philosophical dance to see if we were all aligned, And as it turns out, we were. So the group got together and there was uh, five of us, soon to be six of us, as partners that started that brewery. With a collective, at the time, 140 years of beer experience between all we were, of you we were very very experienced we had a marketing guy we had a sales guy we had a, a CFO of a brewery we had a brewmaster from a brewery we had guys that took apart breweries and reassembled them for 15 years and obviously that's- a brewmaster the most experienced brewmaster in the country so yeah
0: that's yeah, amazing we we're well said and so the name I mean I'm assuming it comes from just that again back to that whole sense of community
1: it takes a village Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we looked quite far and wide for a really funky building and location to build it, but it was taking way too long. And the rules back then were to be able to brew a million, million and a half bottles of beer a year was the size of the facility. Obviously, now you don't have to do that. And you couldn't be in an inner city kind of scenario. You had to be an industrial. So we were trying to break all those rules. And the original place that we were going to be was in the East Village. So it was going to be the East Village Brewing Company at the oh, okay. very, very beginning. Yeah. But after that didn't work out. It just that all the ethos of it takes a village was there dropped the east it became it became village and it's all about is that exact, exact how do we as guys that have been around for 140 years how do we how do we do it differently how do we not just sell beer how do we recognize what we've all experienced which is that beer is actually a currency onto its own and that it is a social lubricant and it brings people together and you can make things happen when you when you have beer so we said let's Let's build a better community around using bureaus. The uh, as the focal point. Kind of fun.
0: Well, I think, you know, I think that's brilliant. I mean, back to when we talked about the 80s and how it sold out so quickly. And, you know, I listened to one of your TED talks and you talked about I think it was one of your TED talks and you talked about you can invite somebody over and say, I'll pay you ten bucks an hour or I'll give you a case of beer and everyone will go to the beer because it is that experience, right? When you talk about branding and you talk about, you know, you're not sell- you're not really selling beer. You're selling an experience. You're selling that sense of community. And that's really, you know, when we when I talk to clients about branding and when you try to brand yourself, you're 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 trying to sell The experience of community and of like having a beer versus here's ten bucks.
1: Exactly the story I always say is, "Can you come help me move this Saturday? I'll pay you twenty one forty four (laughs) plus." Right, because that's a case of beer or whatever the cost of the beer would be. The person would say, "If you said the financial, then it becomes a commoditized conversation." Versus if you have a uh, an emotive scenario, let's have a beer, help me move. Then it becomes more about getting together, having conversation, helping each other
0: out. So where did you come up with Social Lubricant? Is that yours? Probably is. Off the top of your head?
1: Just seemed natural. to Yeah, "Mm -hmm." it's great.
0: I loved it. When I heard it, I was like, that's awesome. Sticking to the whole theme of community, tell me a little bit about Circle Carnival. How did that that start?
1: That started... And um, what is it,
0: for people who don't know?
1: It's a food, beer, and music festival. There's that
0: beer again. (laughs) And music is another thing, right? Isn't music another thing that brings people together?
1: The are, you know, like if you didn't have a world of color, you would, oh. you'd be deprived. You would, yeah. you know, God bless engineers and accountants, and we need them, and they're very good at what they do. But if you only see black and white, then you're missing an awful lot of color.
0: And talk about an even playing field. Like you can bring people from all socioeconomic statuses and all different everything. And music, you know, brings us all together. And I don't actually, beer not so much, but I'm I, the cider. I like cider, yeah. All
1: right. Anyway, I, sorry.
0: sorry, go ahead. But I'm like a girly well, girl. What well, you that?
1: <laughs> so after I left Big Rock, I actually started at Evans Hunt at the same time too. Right. The digital marketing firm at the time, a small group of people and it's now upwards close to 100 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was doing that and, Evan, and Village Brewery at the exact same time. So for eight years, I had two roles. But what the beauty is, is between my connectivity through Village, and all the clients, we, like, we had the clients of Tourism, Calgary, Economic Development, Downtown Association, I could keep going on. Of all the organizations, and companies that are all responsible for building our city. I get to layer all of their strategies on top of each other, on what motivated people, what were the thoughts of the people. I found in it quite often that there's hot spots that were the same with every organization. And in terms of civic organizations, and I'm getting back to your circle story here, the thing that was most interesting is that if you lived in Calgary for a long time, or you lived in the suburbs, You thought this was a boring-ass town. But if you were new to Calgary and or you lived inner city, you thought this was one of the most connected, vibrant, arts-oriented, great restaurants, 10 things to do every night because you knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. But if you lived out in the suburbs or you held on to an old paradigm, you thought it was a a lousy city. So the objective that we took when I connected, I called upon uh, James of Food Trucks and uh, I said, let's create a festival. We'll start at inner city but the objective is to slowly move it out to the suburbs because by starting in the inner city, we'll get all the people that love that stuff. And it filled out late. We sold, we had like 7,000 people attended by our third year. Amazing! And uh, it was incredible. There's food trucks everywhere, music stations everywhere, yoga. There's kids all day long. It'd be full of kids and music. And then in the evening, it would be real dance-centered music. Beer, was you're able to drink beer all throughout the whole thing. That's and awesome. Its purpose was to go into a community, pull the people out of their houses, and pull people into that community so you get to meet new people. And that purpose was to keep moving it around the city, across the city.
0: Right. So, I mean, obviously now with COVID, it's not happening, but is it still happening? Like, did it end, or is it still something, hopefully, when things.
1: Yeah, it's it's taken a hit because of COVID. My dream is to keep it going.
0: Just keep it going. Right? Well, that's yeah. an uh, that's great initiative. Jim, I'm gonna uh, switch gears for a second and get a little bit personal with you because I think it's important is let's talk about your cancer and sure. talk about your diagnosis. You were given a year to live. Yeah. So can you tell us about that day?
1: That day? <laughs> sure. Um, went in had cancer a year and a half prior. Had my kidney removed, and then uh, what kind of cancer was
0: you were you initially diagnosed with?
1: Kidney cancer, renal cell carcinoma. Okay. And so every six months I was getting a scan, and in this scan I walked into the room, and you can tell with my wife Tracy, and you can tell right away that something's going on. He had there was the oncologist also had a an intern with him, so this guy was staring at his feet, and I went, oh, something interesting is about to happen here. Anyway, I went through the the doctor was great. The oncologist is great, he told me the news, it was pretty specific, matter of fact, and the news was that I had 18 lesions in my lungs, and it had metastasized, and that we just went through a bunch of detail, and my wife said, so what's the prognostication? And he he turned to me, and says, do you want to know, Jim? And I went, sure. He says, you have a year, maybe a year and a bit to live. That kind of blows your mind, right? (laughs) Probably the last
0: thing in the world you ever expected. Well,
1: yes and no. It's, yeah. You had cancer a year and a half before, so you had a little bit of an inkling. To take your kidney and not have any of those cells transferring off somewhere else just seemed... I It wasn't that I was expecting it, but I wasn't surprised by it. Okay. And so that day, this is a really interesting story. That day, we eventually found our way home. I remember Tracy and I were talking about it and, you know, giving each other hugs, talking, crying, all the things that happen as you digest it. And I looked at a text from a friend of mine named Avnish Mehta. And in that text, he had said that, Jim, I took you into a healing. I hope you don't mind, but I took you into a healing session last night. And I spotted dark clouds over your lungs. I think it's something serious. You should go see a doctor. So imagine him, the nerve to send something like that. Think about how will Jim receive it? Will Jim think I'm a nut job? And uh, how how will I take it? And I took it as it, it turned out to be the moment where I said, you know, we are all connected. This is a shared experience. He and I talked great at that moment. And we talked quite a bit the next day for three hours. And you told him you had
0: just come from the doctor and big been, di- been diagnosed. I said,
1: well, yeah, the process and I apologized for not asking permission to take me into a healing session. I said, well, what's a healing session? And he says, well, I project you. A- you kept popping into my mind. So I projected you onto a wall. And I studied you with a bunch of people that I trust that have insight. And I went, okay, back up. Are you in a boardroom? <laughs> and this is using a, a picture of people. Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, you're
0: like That's trying to get this. Yeah, I'm trying to understand. What I know, you're saying. of course. Yeah,
1: I, had, I had just found out this crazy news, and I just got this crazy. All the context was all ripped out from me at that time. So I, <laughs> so, he said, no, no, this is all in my mind. I, as you know, my dad has been training and I've been training my whole life. uh, So is he a
0: spiritual healer? Sorry, is that what he does? No,
1: that's just what he does. He's a very spiritual guy.
0: Oh, okay. So that's just who he is. That's just who he is. Oh, okay.
1: Wow. Yeah. He's he's got this capacity to do all sorts of incredible things in his mind. Okay. And I've learned from him. I also took a meditation course. I also took a qigong, really practicing and Now I've got an individualization and meditation and I I can calm my body down. And I think a big part of the reason why I'm still around is a positive attitude and things like taking care of my mind and calming myself down through uh, things I learned from him in that moment. But that moment switched. In university, I'd uh, often taken these types of meditation, uh, a whole course on meditation, you know, and gotten away from it. And so this reactivated.
0: So that day, so how many years ago was that day that you were given one year to live? I think four and a half. Four and a half four, years. Four and a half.
1: Four and a half. Okay. Who's so counting anymore? <laughs> I know.
0: Well, you know. I mean, no, no. I, I get so, where you're at. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I just was okay. curious because it I'm wasn't. Left, it wasn't well, a year I'm ago.
1: Myself, because yeah. I'm going. That's something I should probably know. Right. Yeah.
0: Four four and half year. Four and a half. Okay. So you have this incredible story. You, you're on this journey and then you decide I'm going to share this journey with the world. So you started Gather with Jim blog. You are, I mean, that blog, tell me why and what motivated you to start that because you are so raw and you share the good and you share the bad and you share the ugly. Really? What, why are you doing that? Like what motivated you to start this blog?
1: Well, a bunch of things, the initial motivation, and I learned along the way. But the initial motivation was I have a big network, and I knew I'd be having to answer this question a lot. So I thought it'd be really easy if I just said, go to the blog, right? But yeah. then when I learned along the way, I was actually <laughs> I was writing. I was always afraid of writing. And uh, I all of a sudden discovered that I love writing. So that became really awesome. I also Was it thought, cathartic for you? I was gonna say, it was also very cathartic. Uh, there's many times where you're writing something and you've you're writing through tears, or you're oh, yeah. starting a blog and going. There's something I read it really...
0: through tears sometimes. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, there's times when I'm writing it and I, I start it and I go, "There's something really bugging me. I don't know what the hell it is." So I'll just get on and start clickety clack. clock, and all of a sudden I go, "It all of a sudden comes to me what I'm what's bothering me," and I put it down on, on the blog. In the blog, and as a result, I I get you know I'd say probably on average once a week I guess somebody that reaches out that's got cancer or has a friend that has cancer or a mom or a dad that has cancer that looks to me for some advice or if I wouldn't mind spending some time with them. I just had one last week where somebody phoned me up from Toronto and said, I got a guy that just got kidney cancer. Can he give you a call? And so we spoke for an hour and a half. And so it's become quite a uh, powerful tool for me. And I think a valuable tool for others going through the experience.
0: Do you think you'll ever turn it into a book? Because when I read it, I think this has got to be a book.
1: I've had lots of people say that. I've had somebody say, "I'll, I'll write, yeah, I'll write the book for you. This has got to be a book. Take each page and just as, and publish as, it." Do you think you would, it, or? or is that in it,
0: the works? It. And we're not supposed to talk about that right now. No, I <laughs> haven't
1: in the Works. Okay. It. It's, it's um, so you know, because it would be a book. It would like an unfinished book.
0: Yeah. Well, it could be a series.
1: Now, I did. I'll tell you one thing. Two years ago, I, yeah, coming on two years ago, when I was, well, it was that time where you're in the hospital, you wake up and. Your brother from, who's for, there from China, your brother from Belize, your brother from Toronto, family up from Muskoka, the kids out from... You're school. like, what is and going on? you wake happen? up and you go, why is everybody here? Yeah. And so around that time, I was started writing letters for all the birthdays for my kids. I wrote my last blog mm-hmm. and I told people, I gave them keys to my blog and said, so I've written the last blog now. Now that was, but that was two years ago and I haven't gone back and looked at it. So I should probably go back and refresh that blog. But I thought I was a goner. That's two amazing. years ago I guess the part that's hard for me is the end of the blog is not written yet because it's written in there
0: well you know what aren't we all a story uh in the process though really I don't think any of us could really write our so speaking of your blog you know Jim you are one of if not the most positive people I know I've ever met I mean I you know we don't see each other that often I mean I've known you for many years but we've only we run into each other you know the first few times I went into you in the last few years I actually didn't even know you had cancer which I when I found out after I was like did I say anything offensive but you know I mean we had run into each other here and then and you're always super positive and you always treat me again someone who's not even in your inner circle like we're good friends and you're very authentic and you're very real and, and very optimistic and I love that about you you write in your blog about a pity party and you talk about that because at the end of the day, you're human, right? We're all human. And tell me about the pity parties. Do you have them often? And how long do they last? And share a bit about that.
1: Yeah. So the, the underlying question is, is are you positive all the time? <laughs> and Pretty obviously, much. Obviously, I'm not. But pity parties aren't that often. And, you know, I could have a pity party for about 20 seconds, too. They're Sometimes they're short. And you just have to kind of go, all right. That sucked. That was a really lousy feeling I had. But when I wrote that pity party, I needed to make sure that people knew that I wasn't always always up. And you have to recognize when they talk about, uh, and I, I've never gotten to the point where suicides entered my mind, but I have enough people that I know that have had pity parties that have lasted long enough time that they have committed suicide, and I know enough people that have committed suicide, that you would not know on the outside that they were having a pity party inside. And so it's important that even if somebody looks like they're having, they're always positive, and they're always doing great, that they don't also have tough time. And so that's where the shared experience and the shared responsibility we all have, is when you ask somebody how they are, is to actually genuinely ask, and to not be afraid to ask the second question, if you have some doubt in the veracity of that response at that time. Well, the standard
0: answer is usually I'm fine. Yeah, I do want to touch on that, Jim, for a second, because I agree with you wholeheartedly. I do also think, though, that, you know, there are, because I I have the same experience, you know, I think there's also the mental illness aspect of it. You know, I think when people are, you know, we have a lot about mental illness and depression and awareness about that. And I think that, you know, there's a pity party, but then, you know, there's people who have suffered from clinical depression and it's it's out of their control.
1: 100%. And I had a glimpse of that back in about right when I very first started on chemotherapy, there was a drug I was on, that I was dark. I did not want to talk to people. I couldn't understand why people were happy around me and how rude it was that they were talking about, how good the food tasted, everything. And
0: Well, I'm sure you went into a depression, no doubt.
1: So it was a chemical-induced one, and it gave me a wake-up call to understand how tough depression is and how mental health is. It's a disease that you cannot manage on your own. And that's why I was saying it's a shared experience, because if you do have a mental illness and you do have somebody there that is with you, your chances of coming out of it and or surviving it and or managing it are always better. And that's the point of the pity party.
0: Right. Right now with COVID and there's a lot of people that are struggling and suffering from maybe not necessarily um, chemical depression, but just times are tough and I'm sure there's a lot of pity parties. So you also talk about this book that you said was really helpful for you, you know, Man's Search for Meaning. Can you talk a little bit about that book and why it was so helpful for you?
1: If, if you ever want to see somebody that has a really had a really hard time, I think he wrote the book, started writing the book just after he had spent a long time in internment camp during the Holocaust. And wow, when he writes about the harshness.
0: And sorry, of, who's the author? What's his name? I was going to write it down and then I forgot, but it's no. I mean, we can look it up. Man's Search for Meaning is the name of the book.
1: Yeah, as soon as you said it, I had it again, and I just...
0: Sorry, okay.
1: That well, if it comes
0: up, you can just bring it up again. Yeah.
1: yeah, well, the book is all about how he got through and how the people that survived Auschwitz and these internment camps, how they got through. And they, in large part, it's what I've taken... When I give people, if I give anybody advice, it's three things. One is, this is a shared experience. Number two, um, live a life of purpose. So in this book... He talks a lot about how if the people that had a purpose or a thing to get to or to live for tended to be the people that made it out. And then once Mm -hmm. they were able to crush that out of you, then your will to live disappeared. And so my, my life is governed by be alive for my children and my wife. And secondly to live a life of purpose, which is why we did the fundraising for kids with cancer to help with their mental health while they were dealing with cancer and their Yeah, family. I
0: wanna I wanna touch on that, the pediatric psychosocial oncology. Right? right? Is that what you're referring to?
1: You know, it's a shared experience. So when Trace and I got cancer, I was the one with the head cancer. So it's like me saying when when I was pregnant. <laughs>
0: No, but you know, you hear a lot of the times and Tracy and I, you know, when we went on our walk, you know, she's just lovely and very strong. And, you know, when you're the caretaker, it's different, but it's all different emotions that you're dealing with. So I I totally agree. It's
1: harder than me, to be honest, Julie. You know, it's harder for the caregiver. Well, it's different,
0: but it's different. But the caregiver, absolutely, you are going through it together.
1: Yeah. And so we availed ourselves of a lot of services. One of the leaders in the world is here in Calgary in psychosocial oncology. So. So, it's the mental health of somebody dealing with cancer because cancer is a beast in terms of how it can affect you mentally. Yeah. And so, this gentleman by name Barry Bolts, approached us to, they had great success and we immersed ourselves in many of the programs. That's where I took the Qigong and the mindfulness with Tracy and then. Tracy's taking caregiver support groups and things like that. So the support that we've gotten through this, he came to us and said, really, there isn't a lot of research as it relates to juveniles, to kids. And so they wanted to set up a fund to create research on that so they could start creating programming for other organizations to be able to use programming based on good, solid research. So we set out to raise $5 million. COVID hit, but... Along the way, we had raised enough that we took a uh, change in tact. We had a conversation uh, with a group of us and said, you know what, we've got enough to start going. Let's not wait till after COVID, get it going. So we've got enough to go for five years of research. So the organization's built, the hiring of the head researcher, all that stuff is already started. Research is being chosen. That's awesome. They'll be able to get stuff going. And then once uh,
0: things settle down,
1: things settle down, we'll have, ironically, it might even be a better way to do it because we'll have proof points.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true.
1: The the only difference is, is I was trying to get to the $5 so it'd be an endowed fund, so they never had to worry about raising any money. Yeah, because it's a self-propagating fund. Now we have to raise funds after the five years, but that happened.
0: And that, well, I'm, I have no doubt. And that fundraiser you had, I think it was probably last year, and the way that everything was donated, right? Yeah. The food, the beer, the music, the band, the venue, I mean the, I've never been to an event. and even the tickets. It was just, everyone was like, just pay what you can, right? And everybody, yeah. you know, again, that sense of community, that was a really fun night. And, um, fun? you know, and there you were, you know, I have to tell you, I was blown away. There you were at the front greeted every single guest hugged them or like just made them feel like really special and welcome and again amazing so yes that was really what a great initiative and I have no
1: doubt my favorite part of that night was other than the fact that we raised a lot of money and I got to hang out with a lot of my friends (laughs) was that I I was on stage giving a speech I was just getting into the part where I was going to thank Tracy for all her support and I said, I want to offer you my undying love. And when I said that, I just cracked up. Well,
0: I took that video. Do you remember? That
1: video, I was just going to get that, I sent, yeah. that video. And you laughed so hard when <laughs> I said that. And the audience lost it. And to me, that was like, because a big part of what I want to do by talking about my cancer journey is I want to take away all the stigma about death and dying. Because when people are in a tough spot like I am, if I wasn't as open as I was with this, I'll tell you what happens. And it's every time I walk down the hallway at hospital hospital, my thing I'm carrying with my IV tubes all into me, my transfusions that are happening, they don't look at you. Mm. People cannot look at sick people in the eye.
0: Because it makes them uncomfortable.
1: Makes them uncomfortable. Because they in North America, we've been yeah. told to avoid talking about death. Yeah. So talk about it. Be open with it. Talk to your family about it be prepared for it.
0: I appreciate you uh, so much for saying that. So I, I have a question here. I want to answer and then I know we're going to wrap up because I know you have to leave here. What's your spirit animal and My why? <laughs> yeah. Unicorn. unicorn. Yeah. And unicorn. can you tell us why? Because I think that's such an awesome story.
1: Well, that was, uh, I kept going in and out of the hospital. I almost had this near death couple of times within a six month period. Tracy said, uh, She looked me in the eyes, held me by the cheeks and said, you're a freaking unicorn because I
0: kept Coming yeah, back. surviving. And then wasn't there a story about where you were visualizing about your cancer? Oh, and-
1: I told this in my TED Talk and it freaked out the whole audience.
0: I know, but it was so great because then I love that one of your friends gave you a picture with a unicorn carrying the buffalo yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to stomp out yeah, yeah, the yeah, cancer. Yeah,
1: yeah. Sorry, the story in short is because I was visualizing, I, was able, I had actually asked my radiologist friend to take my scan, superimpose it over a picture of my body, so that when I was meditating and visualizing, I could see exactly where the tumor was in my pancreas, because it's what's causing me all the problems. So I could go in there and I can work on it in trying to reduce it. And then when I found when I went down there to work on it, I started taking like lasers and lightsabers and hacking in it. And I've always said I'm not fighting cancer. I've always said it's not a battle. I said, I'm living with cancer. Yeah. and I've got to learn to live with this. And so it felt contrary to my belief system that I was hacking away at it. So I called up Avnish and I said, Avnish, I'm doing this. And I don't believe it. I like I'm, I can see it and I don't believe I'm doing this. And he says, well, what if, and his spirit animal is buffalo. He says, what if you have little baby buffaloes? <laughs> I think he might have been joking, but he said, what if you have little baby buffaloes stomping right you know. on top of it and stomp on it? Yeah. So, okay. so I went down there I'm visualizing this one day and I'm doing really well, but I get up to the tumor and the tumor is no longer flat on my pancreas. It's actually up like a mushroom. And I look at it, and I go, wow, that's crazy. I was out, I've got all these buffalo here, ready to go and stop, Can't reach it. But they can't reach it. And I I, I don't know how, medit- how how this visualization honestly works. I just go into this meditative state, and then it's with an intention Oh to yeah. do And these things start happening. So this happened this day. The buffalo get up to it. We can't get to it. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, <laughs> these unicorns start picking up the buffaloes, <laughs> and they drop them on top of the tumor. And what's happening is it's all dusty up there and the buffalo can't see the edges, so I was fearful they're going to fall off, so all the unicorns started taking them down. So it's a weird story. And it is a weird story. And when I was in it, I was laughing, and I came out of the meditation. I usually meditate in our bedroom. I came out of the bedroom to the uh, living room. Trace says, what was so funny in there? I said... You're not going to believe
0: this one. <laughs> I love it, though, Jim. I mean, you know, whatever it takes. And, and I do believe visualization is huge and extremely powerful. So yeah. I love that story. So I just want to finish off. You know, when I reached out to you originally, I asked you to be a guest on my podcast. My brand is Branding Badass. And the first thing you said to me is like, well, I'll do it, but I'm not a badass. And, you know, I think that's so interesting because when I think about a badass or my my definition of a badass is somebody who is, you know, gets knocked down and is constantly gets back up and who <laughs> is authentic and real and is themselves, whether they're sitting with president of big company or sitting with someone, you know, on the streets, they're always themselves, they're always authentic, they always say what they mean and they always do what they mean. And it's just a real fighter. And I mean, I think you personify all that. So you're probably one of the baddest asses I know. Yeah, I have so so it's 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 a compliment and I just want you to know that I think you're a real badass. And well, I am so, it. so I, I mean, I love talking to you and thank you for being so open and sharing your story with everybody. So if anyone wants to learn more about your pediatric fundraiser, because I know that's a really passion of yours. What's the best way to get a hold of you to well, learn more about it?
1: Well, go to my blog.
0: So what's your blog is? just your
1: blog is gatherwithgym.com. Yeah. The information is in there. And uh, you can send me an email from that address and I'll respond. Like I said, i get, I got people in Russia and China and South America, all over the places, sending me texts and asking me questions. So if you want to know more about it, go into there. And happy to have a conversation and help you understand why it's an important cause to support.
0: Well, you're, you're a real inspiration. So thanks again. And mm-hmm. uh, you're looking well, and so we will. I hopefully I can see you in person soon and give you a real hug.
1: Yes, with never. Dream really face.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, Thanks Jim. You thank you. Jordan. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> And there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with my friend, Jim. This podcast is a work in progress. So please make sure to rate and review what you think. And please subscribe to Branding Matters on whatever platform you listen to. And if you want to learn more about the branding badass, that's me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn under, you guessed it, branding badass. Thanks again. And until next time, Here's to all you badasses out there.